Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 118 of the Headspace and Timing podcast. Today, I have a dual military couple on the show to talk about a great initiative, the Global War on Terrorism Memorial Foundation. As this episode is going live on the Thursday before Memorial Day, I couldn't think of a better way to recognize Memorial Day than to have Rod and Kelly Rodriguez on the show. You know, this memorial will... We'll, we'll capture that. You know, one of the questions we ask, someone stands before this memorial, what do you want to feel? What do you want people to feel? This young soldier who uh, had never deployed, this soldier said something. He was a young, young kid. He was like 20 years old, maybe 21. He's the same age as my son. And he was very deep in thought. And we had, you know, we go around discussing. He goes, you know, I want, I want people to feel safe. I want people to stand before this memorial and realize that there are men and women willing to stand up to serve and protect. And I was like blown away. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're, you're right. You, you, was, you know, he saw something more. He saw the empowerment piece within this memorial. He saw the strength and might behind just being a damn American. You know, he saw that in his piece to the American people and, and, and who is willing to step up and serve. And service comes in so many shapes and forms. Kelly, who's also a veteran, hopes that the memorial will educate those who haven't served about the real nature of the people who serve in the armed forces rather than what people think we are. The idea that every soldier, every service member is a warfighter in the fact that they're, they're, like Michael said, hunting down bad guys. And it's, you know, I don't know what the number is exactly, but it's something like 20 to 1. You know, for every, every gunslinger, so to speak, there's somebody supporting it. There's somebody sending bullets. There's somebody sending food. There's somebody driving it. There's a medic somewhere. You know, there's somebody working the radios. Um, there's so many more things that happen in the military. And again, it's that misunderstanding I think we have. But I, I think that's an important part to tell, too. It's not everybody just shooting bad guys. It's, you know, our military is way stronger and way smarter than that. Before we kick off the interview, I'd like to bring you a quick message from Dr. Barbara Van Dalen, founder and president of Given Hour, about an event that's coming up June 9th through the 15th. I'm Dr. Barbara Van Dalen, founder and president of Given Hour and the Campaign to Change Direction. We want everyone to join us the second week of June for a week to change direction and the Change Direction Jam. Together, we're changing the culture of mental health. Events during the week can happen anywhere and everywhere. We're so excited to work with IBM to create this global discussion. Mark your calendar, register, and join us to Change Direction. Go to changedirection.org. That's changedirection.org to learn more. Here at Headspace and Timing, we'll be joining Given Hour during that week. The podcast episode that week will be with Dr. Van Dalen, and that week's blog post is going to focus on the campaign to change direction. Longtime listeners will know that our mission is to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health, and the campaign to change direction is doing exactly that. Make sure to check them out at changedirection.org. Welcome to the Headspace and Timing Podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non-commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members.
If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Headspace and Timing podcast once again. And as always, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen and learn about veteran mental health. Uh, those longtime listeners know that uh, when I say veteran mental health, I'm not talking about broken veterans. I'm not talking about crazy and I'm not always talking about PTSD. There's so much more that goes into mental and psychological health and wellness than just what many people think they think about uh, veteran mental health. Uh, and so today, um, as we are approaching Memorial Day, um, I, I was really excited to bring on my guests today um, because it very much does bring a issue that's close to my heart personally, uh, and I think one that's uh, really close to the heart of the nation. So my guests today are uh, Mike and Kelly Rodriguez, or Rod, uh, as he likes to be called, um, and, and they're with the Global War on Terrorism Memorial Foundation, among many other things. Mike and Kelly, welcome to the show. Hey, Dwayne, I really appreciate you having us. Thanks for having us. Yes, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Um, definitely, and again, as, as we talked a little bit briefly before we started, we'll get into the global war on terrorism, the memorial. But before we do that, I'd like to give each of you an opportunity to give a little bit of your backgrounds and sort of how you got to to the Memorial Foundation where you're at now. All right. Well, uh, being a, a gentleman and married uh, as long as I have and loving this lady as much as I do, I'm going to allow her to go first. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> well, um, I'm involved with the, the foundation primarily because because of Michael. But um, background on me, I retired about a year and a half ago after 21 years in the Army. And um, I deployed six times. Three of those were combat tours, um, you know, in support of the global war on terrorism. Um course, married to a combat veteran. Our son is a combat veteran. So the memorial, it, it just, I, like I said, I just really help Michael where he, where he needs me. Um, but it's super important, um, not just for our family, but for all those that I've served with as well. It's, it's going to be a really important place of healing. Okay. I no, my turn. Uh, all right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, um, you know, my name is Michael Rodriguez, uh, you can go by rod, pretty much anyone that serves in the military, uh, goes by Rod, you know, it's it's on our last name, you know, it's on our name page. Uh, they called uh, Kelly, Mama Rod. My father was Rod in Vietnam. Both my grandparents are Rodriguez's on both sides. Uh, uh, we're called Rod in World War II. And my son, who's a, a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne, uh, gets called Little Rod sometimes, but he's a lot bigger and smarter than me, so it kind of bothers him a bit. But uh, uh, anyway, so I, I served for 21 years in the Army. I was, you know, blessed with that opportunity. Uh, Retired a little almost six years ago. I've been out for a while, um, but you know, married to um, I've deployed nine times during my 21 years of service. Married to an active duty service member as well. She served 21 years, I think, because 
we're pretty competitive family. I did 21, so she didn't want to, you know, be like I had more years than her. So she served 21 years as well. We're both retired as senior NCOs. Uh, our son, we're, we're proud to say he's uh, he took on that uh, role within the family business, and uh, he joined the Army uh, right after uh, graduating high school. Poor kid. He grew up in Fayetteville. I've been at Fort Bragg since 97. Spent the majority of my career here at Fort Bragg. Uh, so that he grew up here in Fayetteville, graduated high school here in Fayetteville, joins the Army, and he's second airborne. Uh, two plus two equals four. So he's stationed here in Fayetteville at Fort Bragg. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're fortunate. And one of the things that I chose to do when I, when I retired was to try and find my, my, um, uh, you know, find a way to continue to serve. So I was medically retired after 21 years for, uh, multiple traumatic brain injuries as well as post-traumatic stress. Um, so I had to, I went through that journey that most, pretty much everybody uh, goes through when they transition. And uh, I gravitated towards service and volunteering my time in a nonprofit. And over the years, I've been blessed to have the opportunity to, uh, you know, uh, build a, a, a friendship and, and help and work with our 43rd Commander-in-Chief, President George W. Bush. He's a, he's a friend of mine, you know, but I was <laughs> uh, ended, um, um, trying to guide his strategic vision on how to better serve post-9-11 veterans and their families to death for a few years. Um, and then now I'm currently the uh, president and CEO of the Global War on Terrorism Memorial Foundation, which is the congressionally designated nonprofit that has the blessed mission to build a national global war on terrorism memorial in our nation's capital. And that's great. It is hard to uh, sum up a quarter century in, in about five minutes, of course, for both of <laughs> you. And, and you sound a little surprised that you realize that you've been out for six years. Um, and it does. It goes by in a blink of an eye. Um, and then and then Kelly, of course, uh, having recently retired, um, uh, a mentor of mine once asked me after I'd been out three years, uh, how long I've been out. And I told him and he was like, you still have sand behind your ears, right? This is a long, long time. We're going to be, <laughs> we're going to be veterans at least two or three times longer uh, than we were in the service. And, and it sounds, and this is one of the things that I really appreciate, appreciate about veterans, especially senior NCOs and senior officers that get out when they have this legacy of leadership uh, that they want to uh, continue to serve and 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 how the two of you are serving now with the uh, Global War on Terrorism Memorial Foundation, um, Kelly, you had mentioned how important this is going to be for the nation. Yeah, um, I, I think only only people that have you know maybe gone through war and not had a place of healing would understand that. But um, you know, if you look at the, the things that happened after the Vietnam War, uh, Vietnam Wall was um, was put up. You know, it, it served such a purpose for not just the veterans, but for their families as well, for the families of those that didn't come home. And so it's, it's just, you know, no other thing, nothing else can really bring that closure to people. And, you know, this war is, it's been going on a long time and, you know, I'm sure uh, we'll, we'll get to talk about the, the changes that had to be made to law actually, um, because, it's it's just we don't we don't know when it's going to end and we don't want to be that generation of veterans that never has that place to go you know to go visit and to say goodbye to our friends and 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 to heal our hearts and and also to educate people about you know what what the war is uh, it's been going on so long young people really don't know it's all they know but re yeah they really don't know what it is. No, you're absolutely right, uh, and especially about the um, the place of healing, uh, of course. 
Um, it, Rod, like you had said, my father, uh, three of my uncles, um, were Vietnam veterans. And, and I very clearly recall when I was about 14 years old when they had the traveling wall come around. So this is about the mid eighties. Um, and this is when President Reagan, you know, came out and said, we finally need to welcome them home. And many of the Vietnam veterans, um, really felt that this was their homecoming. Um, I, I, at that event, it was a, um, it was the traveling wall. It was come through Missouri and then they had a, um, a welcome home party or, or, or something afterwards. And my uncle turned to me and he said, this is my welcome home. And, and, and it was nearly 20 years. It was 18 years after both my father and my uncle had deployed. And, um, and it was a healing process. And then later on, I actually visited the wall, um, took a rubbing for a, a neighbor of my father and my uncle's, um, who, who had died in Vietnam. And so that, like you said, this is a generational thing. Um, the unique thing though, uh, Rod, and you can speak to this and, and Kelly had alluded to, alluded to it in that, um, there was a certain rule that there needed to be a certain amount of time between the ending of the conflict and, and the erection of the memorial. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So a lot of people don't realize the very first like national war memorial we ever had was in the fall of 1982. And that was the Vietnam Wall. You know, when Jan Scruggs decided to do that, you know, then we didn't have anything like that. So aside, and it, and it speaks to, you know, the, the, the vision and strength of the Vietnam Veteran Memorial Foundation actually make that happen. So um, that happened in 1982. So the 1986, you know, that's when Congress and our, you know, everyone in D.C. They're like, oh my gosh, uh, well we need to set up some laws and rules for this. So there's something that was uh, in 1986. There's something called the Commemorative Works Act of 1986. And in that, it's federal law, and it's in there it said a war had to be over for a period of 10 years, 10 years, excuse me, uh, for a national war memorial to be built. Now, personally, I don't think that was a good idea. Idea in 1986. It's darn sure not a good idea now. Uh, we mentioned earlier that our son is an 82nd Airborne. We welcomed him home from his first deployment last year, um, which is the 16th deployment for my family. But you know, uh, it's we are in a multi-generational conflict with no end in sight. So if we really like just followed that federal law or the mandate, uh, we would probably never have one, or at least the first generation of the warfighters in the global war on terrorism would never get the memorial. And we wanted to avoid what happened to the greatest generation, you know, who never got to see the World War II memorial built, you know, which is, in my, in my opinion, in my, you know, it's a tragedy. So we did that in 2017. Uh, we introduced a House resolution that passed unanimously through the House and Senate in six months, bipartisan support. Um, and that's when we were, as a foundation, we're officially handed the mission to build we're congressionally designated you know you guys are the ones that are going to build it and you're exempt from the commandment works act that stated a war had to be over for a period of 10 years because you know it just doesn't make sense you know we are fighting a we are waging a war with no precedence we're fighting it like we've never had to fight it before and so this memorial that we're building really has no precedence so it's we're doing something you know, that's never been done before, which is pretty exciting and, and scary at the same time. Um, but it's, it's, um, you know, it's a sacred, it's, I feel it's a sacred duty that we all share. So, um, there's a lot going on. Um, you know, and Dwayne, I want to thank you, you know, on, on your podcast for taking part. So one of the things that we did in the foundation was, um, um, last year we had to, we had to go from the idea phase in 2017. We're like, all right, Hey, you guys can do it. It's like, Oh my gosh, well now we need action. So in 2018, the, the foundation took some took some direction, 
And uh, that's when we sat down. We're like, all right, well, we, we need to figure out what this memorial is going to say. What's it going to do? How's it going to, what does it mean? You know, and, you know, I felt that, look, it would be um, short-sighted and, and, and even arrogant for us as a foundation to think we knew everything. You know, we don't know. We're, we, we're developing our program. So what we did was we conducted discussion groups across the, across the country uh, and again, I thank you, Dwayne, for taking part of it. They were focused discussion groups, and we wanted to talk to <clears throat> everybody, the people of America, because this memorial really belongs to the people of America. Uh, so we spoke to people that serve. We spoke to their family members. We spoke to Gold Star family members. We spoke to currently serving members. We spoke to people that never served, which is important, uh, because right now at any given time, 1%, give or take, is actually wearing the uniform of our nation. So we wanted to speak to those that didn't serve or didn't even know anyone served. We also spoke to faith leaders in the three largest religions within this country, which are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So we wanted to talk to the faith leaders. What would it mean to you? So we, we did this, and it was really refreshing when we synthesized all the data and brought everything together. It was, it was really it was, it was phenomenal. And I, I shouldn't use the word refreshing. It was actually very, um, it was a special moment, at least it was for me, in that, whether someone served or didn't serve or they knew someone that served or they actually had a loved one that was lost in the global war on terrorism, everybody said almost the same thing, particularly with location, where they want it and what it should say, you know, which speaks to us as a nation. It speaks to us as American, the people of America. You were the American people. We're a broad tapestry of backgrounds and, you know, uh, everything. We're so different uh, from, you know, with who we are individually, but we're still the American people. Um, and it was, it was very overwhelming that, uh, consensus that everybody wants this memorial to be built in the reserve, which is what people consider the mall in Washington, DC, which we received that direction. So you're, you're the first, this first time I'm sharing it publicly is, um, we are going to be seeking legislation because we have to pass legislation to allow us to build in the reserve because Congress deemed the reserve closed. Uh, there can't be anything else in there. So, um, but we're listening to the American people. It's not the foundation deciding to do this. It's the foundation listening to the American people. So, uh, that's, that's very exciting news. And, and that's the, that's kind of the status and direction of, of the foundation where we're going. Um, you know, it's a very dynamic environment, but we're very excited. You know, that is, uh, that is amazing news. Um, and, and bold and decisive action is, is always important and we're not going to back. It's not even going to be a fight, but it's, uh, it, it's the way that it is. Um, as you mentioned, I was involved in the, um, uh, in some of the, the screening in the, um, uh, the polls there in the focus groups. And, and I didn't choose the reserve because I was in my mind. Well, it's closed, right? It's closed and you can't do it. But, but the fact is, is that that's where a lot of people want it. And for those listeners who may not be familiar with the nomenclature, but this is the, the broad park and strip that's between the state cap or between the Capitol building and the Washington monument, the reflecting pool. It's, it's in the area with the rest of the monuments, the Vietnam, Korea and World War II and things like that. Correct. Yes, exactly. If you were to draw across from the White House to the Jefferson, and then from Lincoln to the U.S. Capitol, that's the reserve. You know, there are other areas, you know, area one, area two, not to go into to all that. But and everyone that took part, they understood that we, we educated everyone. Hey, this is what this means. This is where that goes. And, you know, we take direction. That's why and if the vast majority of people would have said we, we don't care or put it in area one or put it in area two, put it across the, 
the river, you know, that's the direction we would take. But, you know, we, we, uh, listened to, we listened to everybody. It was really awesome was, so we culminated these discussions here at Fort Bragg. It was, it was command sponsored forces, force com, Sergeant Major Grinston, uh, Sergeant Major, uh, at force com is, is a friend. Uh, so he, uh, you know, we went, you know, through all, all open channels and did it the right way. So we culminated three days of discussions here at Fort Bragg, uh, with peer groups. So in the morning it was junior enlisted, uh, junior NCOs, senior NCOs, senior officers, field grades, command teams, and et cetera. So we had, uh, several different discussion groups. And over the course of those three days, we spoke with 65 active duty service members, which represented almost 800 years of service and almost 200 consecutive, 200 cumulative deployments. And, you know, just, just from that small group alone, and, you know, it was, the, it's, it's, it was, uh, you know, I, I can't think of any more, uh, I can't think of a more uh, credible source to me than those that are actually still fighting in the war. Right. And that's, as you were talking, that, that just struck me is, of course, as um, the Korean War and Vietnam and in uh, the World War II Memorial, which is the three largest that that um, that that are currently in place. Of course, the the Desert Storm Memorial, um, I think, is going to be placed um, adjacent to the Lincoln Memorial. This is the first time that individuals who are still serving in the particular conflict um, are being allowed to or being able to um, have input on the memorial that's going to honor their service. Exactly. That's why it's, it's such a, we're doing something that's never been done before. It's so unique. And, and again, I keep saying it's, it's, it's a little bit scary. <laughs> it's a lot of responsibility, but you know, uh, we're, 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 we're just, you know, I consider it a blessing to have the opportunity to work on this uh, project. And, and of course it means it's so much to those of us who served. And, and as you'd mentioned, um, it is a family affair. You called it a, a family business. And but are some of our most senior leaders um, at the beginning of the global war on terror, they were Vietnam era, right? You know, they they had enlisted in the or, or were appointed in the early seventies. Then of course you have perhaps uh, our generation, uh, you know, Rod and Kelly and myself, and then of course our children. Um, you, know, you mentioned your son is in. Uh, my son was born one month before nine eleven. Um, he turns 18 this August and could enlist um, in the military um, and fight in the same war that I fought in this past September 11th or September 12th specifically is the first time someone could join the military who had not been born when the cause of the war started. And so we don't know, you know, we talk about it. it we just recently lost the last of Doolittle's Raiders, the final veteran of the global war on terror likely has not enlisted and hopefully has already been born, but maybe not. No, you're hundred percent right. You know, we, we have no idea. And, and you, it's such a broad group and this is the longest uh, war this country has ever been in. And it's so broad. So you spoke to the very first generation of warfighters. So I'm fortunate to have as one of my mentors, um, you know, and he was, he, I was, consider, he was, he was, he was, I was blown away that he, he, uh, he actually joined the foundation, on our board of advisors, but General Peter Pace, he was 16th Chairman Joint Chief of Staff. He's a Vietnam veteran himself. He was platoon leader of the Marines, uh, deployed to Vietnam, became the Chairman Joint Chief of Staff and is a global war on terrorism veteran himself. You know, he's also a Desert Storm veteran. Uh, so, you know, we have these gentlemen and, and ladies that are, that are, so senior, but you know they deserve their place. They deserve this, in, in my opinion. 
And this is, uh, and, and definitely Kelly, having served yourself, uh, when we talk about, you know, like uh, General Pace being a multi-war vet, um, you know, we're multi-war vets, but but it's multi-theater. It's, it's simultaneous. It's not consecutive. Right. Um, and that makes a difference. On your family, on my family, I, I was my my wife and I just uh, passed twenty years, and she was with me four out of my five deployments. Um, this monument is is going to be unique um, <laughs> because the spouses served um, uh, right along with the uh, the service members, and the and the children served. Right, that's that's something else that makes the 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 global war on terrorism memorial different is. Um, it's going to recognize that it's going to recognize not just those that didn't come home. It's going to recognize, you know, we have contractors that are still getting killed in action. We have, you know, um, we have gold star, you know, spouses whose children are still serving in combat, you know, that they've already lost their husband and, and yet they, they send their son or daughter to war. And, and it's something that the foundation has taken notice of and it, it, it's going to be addressed. It's going to be recognized. Yeah, without without a doubt. Like I mentioned it earlier, you know, we're waging conflict in a in a in a in a type of uh, war that has no precedent. So this memorial has no precedent, which is why we're being as inclusive as possible. We we are. We're going to recognize everyone that served, too, part- particularly the family component as well. Because within the sixteen deployments that I had, the most difficult for me were not my nine; it was the seven watching my loved ones go off go off to war. You know, and to the multi-generational, you know, like gold stars that we have, you know, one of my best friends, you know, Mike Duskin was killed, uh, in 2010, Maggie, she's, she's actually one of our ambassadors foundation. Uh, both her sons are currently serving. Both her sons, you know, are, are global war on terrorism veterans. As a matter of fact, her youngest son enlisted not long after his father was killed. Um, so it, it you know, a, another family, the Vomoto family, Isaiah Vomoto retired his 18th airborne Corps, uh, command Sergeant major. Isaiah is a, phenomenal i mean that whole family is a, a close friend of ours um isaiah lost his son while he was the brigade sergeant major um and continued to serve and guess what else his daughter's serving and right now his son is a contractor serving in afghanistan that's the fifth member of the vomoto family that is deployed in support and serving in the global war on terrorism so that's why we are recognizing the services and sacrifices of everybody that I mean, this, this war has touched. I mean, with that one, Mrs. Bomoto, while she's never worn a uniform, I mean, she, I don't know if it gets much harder than that. You know, your husband, your son, your daughters, it's, it, her, her entire family, her entire family has uh, served in this war deployed, which is it's just amazing. And, and she's just she's got to be this, one of the strongest people ever for that. And the two of you bring up um, a, a very good point in that, and we've mentioned it a couple of times, but it's a family affair. Again, um, uh, two of my grandfathers, uh, World War II, of course, we didn't know it because they didn't talk about it. And uh, <laughs> one of my, I was, I was in the 82nd uh, and I'd gone back home and, and my, um, my stepfather's father, so my grandfather on that side, we were sitting in the living room and of course everyone had left and it was just he and I and he started asking. I'd already been to Germany once and he asked me where I was and he started telling me stories about how when he was in France and changing road signs and messing with – and I was like, wait a minute, you you were <laughs> in D-Day and he was like D plus one and I was like, you got to be kidding me and of course I, I grew yeah. up with him. Yeah. 
my father and three of my uncles. Um, not necessarily, we didn't grow up in the military. All of them had gotten out after one or two tours. Um, but then myself and my younger brother um, are both OIF and OEF veterans. The Vimoto family, your family, it's increasingly, it, it's the 1%, but it's increasingly the 1% that's multi-generational within the family, it truly is becoming a family business, which removes service even more from those who haven't served. No, you're, you're right. If you look at the statistics, depending on what, what it is, you know, and, and the, the ones that I've read kind of tend to these numbers. So during World War II, we had about 11% of the population served. During Korea, it was about 7%. Even during Vietnam, we had 4%. And, and you heard me mention at any given time, like current, you have about the, the entire force is, at or less than 1% of the United States population. And if you add up, add up all of the veterans, of course, it's more than 1%. But, you know, it is increasingly becoming a more, uh, it is a family affair, you know. And, and, and does that mean we as a nation are creating somewhat of a warrior caste? I don't know. I think that could be a completely separate uh, podcast, you know. <laughs> right. uh, but, you know, really, it, it, it's, it speaks to um, the disconnect that we have with, the those the veteran population and the civilian population like there's that narrative that's touched on the civilian military divide i throw the bs flag on that all the time um you know when general pace came home from vietnam when my father came home from vietnam when your when your your family came home from vietnam that was a civilian military divide what we have today is a misunderstanding so the fact we have such a small percentage serving um you know i, I think speaks to that which is why another another reason why this memorial is so damn important. You know, we have four tenets that we, you know, last year we, we were like, we need to refine our messaging and figure out what it is. And based off the stuff, so we have four tenets that we're going to follow. The first one is honor. And we kind of talked about that one. We're going to honor the service and sacrifices of everyone, everybody to the family, the component to the, to the contractors. In January of this year, we lost seven Americans in the global war on terrorism. Three of them were contractors. One of them have to be one of my best friends, a guy named Rick Rodriguez. You know, uh, it's, it's, it, the war is increasingly touching such a small percentage. So we're going to other service sacrifice of, of everybody. The second tenet, and we talked about is heal. We're going to heal as a nation. And this is where I think we're going to heal as a nation. Not that I think there's that divide or, you know, civilians versus military or, or anything quite like that. But, you know, we're going to heal that relationship. And, and sometimes relationships always, you need to focus on relationships in order, if you want to maintain them and have them grow. So that's going to provide us an opportunity to heal, not just those of us that were personally touched by the global war on terrorism, but the entire nation. The third tenet is empower through education and engagement. We're, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have these t- t- tough discussions, but not just those of us that are having these discussions like, you know, the three of us on this call right now or everybody listening that has a direct connection to it, but also our leaders. You know, there's certain discussions that need to be had. We need to educate and empower, you know, we need to educate everybody through engagement. Certain discussions need to be had, you know, and, and I think it'll make the country a better place. And the fourth tenet that we're, we're uh, following is unite. Now, I have to constantly remind people that this memorial is not a 9-11 memorial. There are over 70 9-11 memorials that exist within the continental United States and about a dozen that exist, believe it or not, outside our borders, which is phenomenal. The most impactful for me are the ones at the Pentagon, the field in Shanksville, and the one in New York City at Ground Zero. Um, but they're all phenomenal. And while, you know, on that day of 9-11, um, you know, everyone has a story and I really love to hear people tell their stories, you know, and I've even noticed children telling their parents story because they don't remember it. And even the child 
is, is that's telling the parents story that they've heard their parent relay a number number of times. They're touched by it. They're 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 passionate. They're they're there's they're speaking with conviction and, and emotion. So on that day, while the entire nation, even the world, mourned the losses of the thousands of innocents that were that we we lost to those cowardly attacks, what's the one thing this nation did? What is what was our nation's immediate response to those events? We united. And that's why this our fourth tenant is unite. We're gonna remind everybody on that day we weren't a people of color or religion or sexuality or any whatever social labor we you know people choose to take on these days we were the american people you know and that's why our fourth tenet is unite we're, that's that's what this memorial is going to cap going to capture is what this nation is it's going to show the strength and unity of this nation in spite of what people see on the news or hear or think you know really at the heart of this nation we're still the american people which you know, I talked about briefly a little while ago when we went over those results from the the discussion groups and the survey that we sent out. It was so it was it was a special moment for me because it it reminded me that we are still the American people and we're doing the right thing. You know, so there's this this memorial is is going to impact and touch not just those of us that were directly impacted by the global war on terrorism, but the entire nation as a whole. You know, as you were talking, I, I'm thinking, um, of course, and, and the two of you have really put a lot of thought into this, but you're absolutely right. You know, we have the Pearl Harbor National Memorial, the USS Arizona Memorial in Hawaii, and that commemorates that event. Um, but that's not the World War II Memorial. Um, you know, and, and I'm a, a monument junkie. I've, um, uh, I've visited Gettysburg several times. I, I really enjoy. Oh yeah. One of the things in the East Coast is is visiting all the Civil War battlefields, um, and there's something about visiting these places that that's. I mean, it is. It's sacred, right? And and um, many people say the same thing. Whether it's the the way that the acoustics were designed at the um, uh, the Vietnam Memorial or whatever, but there is a different spirit there, if if we could call it that. Um, that's not commemorating any one particular event. Um, and, and from what I'm gathering, that's the intent for the uh, Global War on Terrorism Memorial is to invoke that same feeling and, and really give that same message. No, you're, you're exactly right. You know, you're, you're hundred percent right. And, and I, I've become a memorial junkie, obviously with, with the job, <laughs> you know, I've always been, I've always been in history, but you know, now I, I know I, we've, we've been fortunate to have conversations with, with a lot of the other curators and, and executive directors of other foundations, you know, everyone's, everyone's so friendly and, and welcoming and inviting, you know, we want to be sure that, you know, while even with, if you were to, if anyone goes on our website, you know, and looks at the team, just go on there and look at the team, look at who's on the board, looks on our board of advisors, look at our board of directors. That is a very robust and very, very, uh, uh, pretty, pretty deep team of, of, of with experience and, um, you know, credibility. But even with that team, we understand we don't know everything, which is why we chose to do the discussion and talk to everybody else. Cause we believe everybody has input, you know, not everyone's going to agree. Of course not. That would, that would be naive to think so, but, you know, we want to be sure that it has that. And this memorial should be, and it will be, you know, um, something, it, it'll be an experience and it's going to, it's going to be a point of security, a point of healing. There's, there's so many things that I really fully believe that, you know, this, this memorial is going to make the country better. And it's going to, it's definitely going to make it better because it will remind everybody who we are as, as the, as the American people. You know, I think our strength lies in our diversity, in my opinion. Yeah, that 
makes me think of something that I think a lot of people, you know, in the military, those that spend time in the military, we know this. We know that this is a very diverse country and we know that, you know, we, we work well together and, and our diversity makes us stronger because that's what the military is. You know, any any unit in the any service, it's, it's, it's a huge cross section from different countries even, but definitely different states, different backgrounds, different economic status, all of those things. And, and you just make it happen and all of those differences make it stronger. But I don't know that all of America realizes that anymore. So it might give an opportunity to, to show that and share that, to remind everybody that, that our differences is what makes us so good. You know, and, and we keep coming back to this, um, this concept of healing, and it is healing. And I appreciate, Rod, how you had said um, healing for the relationships, right? It's, it's, it's healing whatever that gap or, or whatever that, that um, um, as you said, uh, misunderstanding, but, but really that lack of education. Uh, but also healing for the individuals. Um, again, it was very, um, um, very fulfilling for me to, to visit the Vietnam Memorial for the first time and be able to do that for my father and my uncle. Um, and it was, it was me helping them heal. But, but you think about some, you know, young, well, no longer young, but some service member maybe spent three or four years and they felt, well, I was such a small cog in this huge machine. Um, but this is also mine too. I mean, we're looking at, um, uh, honor flights to this memorial in 50 years because <laughs> hopefully it's going to be done in 50 years, but, um, we are, we are 20 years probably or, or less than that, maybe even from the oldest veterans hitting 65 and probably 50 or 60 years from the youngest veterans of global war on terror in 65. And so this is going to be a long lasting memorial for those individuals um, who are participating in the global war on terror to help them heal individually. No, you're right. Uh, 100% right. I remember, you know, you talked about your experience, the Vietnam wall. So the very first, you know, when you were a child, I remember it came and visited uh, um, us as well. I'm from, we're, I'm from uh, Southern New Mexico. So I remember traveling the wall coming. And the very first time I had an opportunity to go to the actual wall in Washington, DC, I went there and uh, we have a cousin on the wall. You know, he served the same time my father was serving, uh, my father's cousin. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm looking at his pencil, uh, you know, shape, uh, his, his, the pencil scraping right now. It's sitting right here in front of me in my study um, as we have this conversation. You know, he's on that wall. But I remember as a, as, you know, as a service member, as a combat veteran myself, I went there and I experienced it. And I, and I, and I was making the pencil uh, shaving and, uh, even though that he passed away, you know, um, Andres, he passed in, in Vietnam um, many decades prior. Um, it provided an opportunity for me to think about those brothers and sisters of mine that I know that, that knew that never came home. So it, one of the things that it provides is it's not just for that community. You know, the Vietnam Wall provided something for all veterans, just like the World War II Memorial. Those are their kinship, you know, and I, I really hope. Um, one thing, one thing that, that kind of irks me sometimes is veterans identify themselves with their periods of service. And I, I think we're above that. I think we should be above that, you know, uh, I, 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 um, you know, and I, but that my experience with the Vietnam wall, seeing my cousin on the wall provided an opportunity for me to heal from a war that he died decades before 
you know, he, you know, before he, you know, before he even uh, came in, came into play. So one of the things too, I hope we're, we're, we're going to try and do is tell him, look, we're, we're all veterans. We're all a family. We're all Americans, you know, uh, and, you know, bring everyone together. Cause really that's one of the things that drives me nuts when a veteran identifies themselves with their period of service and they feel that they don't have a kinship, you know, and I feel, I don't feel bad, but I almost, you know, for guys and gals that, that, that didn't deploy that served between desert storm and, and the current conflict, you know, um, they, they're on like, they almost feel bad for it. And, and I, I hope that they don't, you know, I hope they realize that they're still my brothers and sisters, whether whatever period they served, you know, just like, you know, my father's my fellow veteran, uh, uh, my grandfather's who are past or my fellow veterans, you know, that's one thing I really hope, uh, you know, to, to drive home with the entire veteran community. You know, and, and that's exactly right. A lot of the veterans that I work with, especially um, as uh, with mental health, and, and we know the statistics, it's the, the veterans 55 and older are, are the ones that are struggling the most with suicide. Um, and, and those Cold War veterans do come into my office and say, I don't feel like a veteran. I don't consider myself a veteran. Uh, and I have to point out that uh, I, I did this research one in once and then in, in 1980 there were more active duty deaths than there were in 2010 and there were two wars going on in 2010 they didn't have safety officers in 1980 right they didn't have um, <laughs> it was yeah. i mean it, but the military is an inherently dangerous um occupation and and those um <laughs> uh, the the 10th group guys that started out in bad tolts and they were you know uh, riding shoots you know into the ground or those um uh, those Navy aircraft that were doing surveillance and they were incursion, um, in, in danger close and hard. I mean, just that it's so there's so many different things, um, service is service. And, and you're right. And this idea of this is not just a global war on terror. This is not just a yours and mine and general paces and your sons, you know, and, and all of that. Um, this is a, a memorial for all service members. Um, and, and again, this idea of uniting, you know, I had a, a Dr. Ed tick on the show back in uh, episode 109 and 110. And he said something that struck me and he had been working with Vietnam veterans since the mid seventies. And he said that a lot of people think that the military's job is to kill and destroy, but the military's job is really to preserve and protect to preserve and protect our way of life and freedom, but, but even on the basic level to preserve and protect our fellow service members and, and those that were, were charged with. Um, and I could say arguably that's the, the goal of the global war on terror memorial is to preserve and protect the legacy that not just our current era, but to unite all service members into that legacy of service. Would that be accurate? No, I, I agree. You know, I mean, that's, that's our, our primary, you're, you're right. He's Dr. Tick's right. He's, he hit that nail right on the head. And that's one thing is, is, is to, to, you know, this memorial will, will, will capture that, you know, it'll show that. So during the discussion, so during all the discussion groups, uh, they were led by, by, uh, we had some project managers helping us out with this, but either myself or, or, uh, um, I was at the majority of them. Um, or another one of our board members was, was in attendance. Well, the last one we were doing here at Fort Bragg, there was a young soldier. And, and if you remember, Dwayne, you know, one of the questions we asked on this is if someone stands before this memorial, what, what, what do you want to feel? What do you want people to feel? 
you know, and in this, in this, you know, for people that are wondering, there was qualitative and quantitative uh, data points that we drew from it, but this was obviously one of those. And uh, this young soldier who uh, had never deployed, he was an E3, and it was very important for us that we had soldiers that still had skin in the fight, whether they deployed or not. It doesn't matter. You know, they're gonna. It's gonna happen. You know, you can't serve today and not go to war. That's just, that's not gonna happen. Um, if you do, you're trying. I'm gonna say that, <laughs> uh, you know, live right now. Uh, but um, anyway, the soldier said something. He was a young, young kid. He was like 20 years old, maybe 21. He's the same age as my son. And he was very deep in thought. And we had, you know, we go around discussing. He goes, you know, I want, I want people to feel safe. I want people to stand before this memorial and realize that there are men and women willing to stand up to serve and protect. Exactly what Dr. Dick said, you know, which I think is it's awesome. It's, it's, it's great how those things just kind of dovetail together. But that's what that, that kid said. And I was like blown away. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're you're right. You, he was, you know, he saw something more. He saw the empowerment piece within this memorial. He saw the strength and might behind just being a damn American. You know, he saw that in his piece of the American people and 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 who is willing to step up and serve. And service comes in so many shapes and forms. You know, not everybody has to to serve this nation. Not everyone has to put on a uniform, pick up a gun, and go into harm's way. There's so many other ways to serve this nation. You know, um, you can, and Dwayne, you're doing a phenomenal job of doing it right now. You're serving those that serve. I mean, that's great. I don't even, I can't, I, there's no better way to say that. But not everyone has to do that. And I, I remind people, I always get the the the, the patriotic American that did not work, join the military, I almost feel remorseful or bad. And I always want to tell them, look, no, thank you for being you. Thank you for following the law, paying your taxes, being a good citizen supporting the country, getting out and vote, you know, uh, be, you know, help your, serve, help your, help your community, serve your community, do something. That's to me being a patriot, you know, and that speaks to who we are. I keep coming back to this, but it's, it's really what it is. And I think people tend to forget it, but that's who we are as the American people. We serve others. We do. And that's what this war is. We are, it's not a war of conquest. We're not planting a flag somewhere, you know, for those of us that have served, that have gone over there, you know, we are, we are, we are protecting liberty and freedom. You know, we, there, there's so much more that we're doing, you know, we're, it, it's, it's, uh, it's not just hunting down bad guys. I mean, we're good at it. I did a right. lot of it mm-hmm. and it's, right. it's, we're good at doing that, but you know, I also was able to, you know, provide medical aid as Kelly was to, you know, children that probably would, would have died without it, you know, or just basic hygiene to, to women that are neglected in certain cultures, you know, that just help them live their life better and have more comfort in life. This so much more to this than than I think people um, that don't serve that are stuck in their iPhones and you know uh, you know their social media and that's their world. But you know I think this will provide us an opportunity to educate everybody how how uh, how how much good we really are doing in the world. I was just uh, what brought uh, came to mind when when you were talking and actually when Michael did too is the um, the idea that every soldier every service member is a war fighter in the fact that they're they're like michael said hunting down bad guys and it's you know i don't know what the number is exactly but it's something like 20 to 1 you know for every every gunslinger so to speak there's somebody supporting it there's somebody sending bullets there's somebody sending food there's somebody driving it there's a medic somewhere you know there's somebody working the radios um there's so many more things that happen in the military and again it's that misunderstanding i think we have but um I think that's an important part to tell too. It's not everybody just shooting bad guys. It's, you know, our military is way stronger and way smarter than that. 
Um, you know, I, I've told people, I was like, if I'm shooting my gun down range, things are bad. Cause I was, you know, I was a medic and it, I mean, I, I had to a couple of times and it was very, very scary. I'll be honest with you. Um, but for me, I'm like, you know, my job was to take care of our guys and the bad guys. It, that was my job. I was on a surgical team. Um, you know, I got to open a girl's school in Afghanistan. Um, people don't know that those things happen. And, and I think that's another, another really important part of the story is not everybody's over there. You know, not everybody's an infantryman, no matter how much you want to be, we're, we're not. So, um, that, yeah, I just, Right. And, and that's more of the education piece. I, I, when I was leading security mm-hmm. escort patrols, right. um, I had two standing orders. The medic or the mechanic will not dismount unless I tell them to, because if either <laughs> of you are needed, then we're in a, we're in a pretty bad spot. Things um, have gotten bad. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but this is the, and, and that's more of, of the education piece. And, and then, you know, Rod, going mm-hmm. back to that, that young man, I, I that's, that's it is. It's beautiful. I, whatever else is, it's going to be. Uh, but this, I want people to feel safe because monuments can make people feel different things. Um, you know, the Vietnam Memorial. This they they describe it as this black gash in the ground, right? You know, they it it symbolizes something. A, a memorial can be intimidating, right? This is when, you know, the early designs of Washington D.C. were to intimidate foreign individuals who were coming in, and and we don't want the the GWAP Memorial to be intimidating or recriminating or strike fear or be some angry fist in the sky. Um, we want it to be inclusive and educational um, and unite, like you said. No, you're, you're right. You're hundred percent right. You know, and, and it's, it's, it's very important, you know, and it speaks to, and I keep coming back to it and I'm probably doing it for a reason. Cause I really hope people get that message is, is it's just who we are as a people, you know, whether someone served or didn't serve or, or whatever. And that's why it was so important for us to take direction from the American people, you know, and it'll be, it's just America's response to some tragic events. And what does America do following tragic events? That's what we do is we come together, you know, yeah, we bicker and fight and we don't always agree, but you know what, we're still the American people. And in times of crisis, we come together. And I really fully believe that that that's why our fourth tenet is unite, you know, is we want to remind America that like, look, there's a, there's a lot of media out there. There's a lot of ways for you to get, you know, someone tell you something, their own opinion, and then all of a sudden you take it on your own or whatever, you know, that I think people need to be reminded who we are as the American people. Yeah, that, that is, uh, that's outstanding. Uh, I really appreciate both of you, uh, taking the time to, um, uh, to come on the show. I'd like to give you each of you an opportunity, maybe some last thoughts. Oh, I don't have any last thoughts. Oh, you go first. Uh, We're going to argue about this one. Um, I I think, um, you know, I just, for anybody that is listening, I I do think that um, it's important to remind ourselves that, you know, and and this is just speaking to the the fact that this is mental health, you know, veteran mental health podcast is, you know, everyone has their struggles and it takes a lot of courage to just stand up and say, you know what, I've been through some things, let's work on it. But it's not just a military thing. It's not just a veteran thing. It's a, it's a human thing. And, um, you know, we, we can live our best lives when we're working with other people and we're asking for help. And, you know, um, I've had to ask for help. And I just, you know, I, I just know that especially military folks, they just, you know, they feel like that's a sign of weakness. And, and once you actually get the help, you realize it's the biggest sign of strength. Um, so I think that that's, you know, that, that would be one thing that I'd really like to share. 
Yeah, I, I'll kind of build on that. She, she kind of took the air out of my sales there. But, uh, no, so Kelly and I are, are very open about, you know, our service, obviously, but we're not we're, we're not ashamed of the fact that we both, uh, uh, the dynamic in our house is, is, is different, not special. So both Kelly and I have uh, been in treatment, separate treatment facilities. Uh, mine was a number of years before she went. But we've both been, you know, uh, hospitalized for, for treatment, been in inpatient treatment facilities, and, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I was there for chemical dependency and post-traumatic stress. Uh, that's why I was there, and that's why I needed to be there. You know, I'm not ashamed to say that. Now, I was initially while I was there, and that was just the wrong way of feeling. Um, you know, but that's 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 just showing that, I, that I'm human. So what I, what I, I get calls all the time, you know, I speak to uh, not just veterans, dealing with uh, post-traumatic stress, but, you know, uh, post-traumatic stress is not a veteran issue. It's a human issue, you know, so I speak to a lot of first responders and, and just, um, you know, people living through life. You don't have to, you know, uh, you know, be a first responder or in the military to experience a traumatic event in your life. There's so many other ways to do that. So I speak openly about it and I, I try to make people understand there's no difference. It's a human issue, um, you know, because I felt bad for feeling bad, which doesn't make sense. Uh, it really doesn't, you know, and it turns into this negative feedback loop where it just keeps getting worse. And, you know, I was fortunate and blessed to have a, a doctor and, and, and he kind of kind of gave me my asthma check that I needed when I needed it, you know. And, uh, you know, if I didn't feel and I got to a point where I stopped feeling, you know, and then he equated that. He's like, well, you know, if, if you felt bad for certain things, it, what if you didn't feel bad or you felt nothing, then you'd be a sociopath. He goes, honestly, it's good to feel. That's called being a human. You know, you're not a robot. You're not a sociopath. You care. You're compassionate. You you respect human life. He goes, that's good. That's actually, and just as Kelly said, that's a show of strength. The hardest three words I have to, had to say was I need help, you know, but, um, you know, it's it's the most important thing that any of us can do to do that. And and I'm, I'm in a much stronger, uh, I, I feel much stronger and safer now for being able to say that. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm very open about it. You know, no one should ever be ashamed for feeling bad. No one should ever be ashamed for feeling sad or, or even angry. That's part of what makes us human. And I, and I think in, in definitely um, having participated in the survey is you can't tell this story without also telling that story. You can't tell the story of the global war on terror without acknowledging um, the danger of, of keeping these things to ourselves. Um, and, and of course, it'll be interesting to see how it comes out um, in the memorial. Um, but it is a very real and, and everybody knows it, right? You know, the whole soldier's heart and shell shock and battle fatigue and all these other things before it became this term we have now, and then it'll merge into some other term. But it's all the same thing. It's a very human reaction to a human condition called war. But it doesn't mean it's a good or pleasant or or um, or enjoyable one. So I really appreciate both of you, um, not just for for this for the global war on terror, but also being honest and open about um, about what you experience. Because the more often we talk about it, we can't change what we keep hidden. You know, while there is there's a lot of awareness, we keep saying we need awareness. We need awareness. We have a lot. There's a lot of people that are aware of this problem. And I think we need to move past that awareness. I'm, I'm not saying just, okay, we, we check that block, we're done. No, maintain the focus on that. But we need to transition from awareness to acceptance. That's where we need to go. That is, that's the direction we need to go. There's awareness. There's, there's so many dang nonprofits nowadays. Like, oh, I'm draining awareness. Man, we have awareness. Let's start moving towards acceptance. Let's make it people feel okay to feel like this. 
You know, we need we and I, I like I said, I hope no one takes this wrong. Like, oh, we Rod says we all know about it. No, we we still need to talk about it, but we need to transition and start focusing towards acceptance. Right, awareness and then acceptance, and then after acceptance, we need to take action because um, if we're still talking about it five years from now, um, the the numbers haven't changed since 2015, and especially, and we're talking the suicide numbers, and this is where I'm I'm definitely at, but. You know, it's sort of like fighting a battle with, you know, intelligence that's two or three years old. But if we look at yeah. the numbers in 2015 and we're still doing the same things we were doing in 2015 and the numbers didn't change then, we're not going to expect them to change today. So I appreciate <laughs> that, of course, to to move into action. So if people wanted to find out more... Um, <laughs> You know, donations are always appreciated, right? Put some funds in the tip jar. Um, you know, how can people find out uh, maybe each of you, um, if you have maybe social media you want to put out there or the uh, Global War on Terrorism Memorial Foundation? Yeah, um, sure. Just, uh, you know, we're, we, you know, www.gwatmf.org is, is the website or just look us up Global War on Terrorism Memorial Foundation on Facebook, Instagram at GWOTMF at Twitter at GWOTMF. Um, I'm pretty, I think I'm kind of easy to find on, on social media. I'm Michael yeah. Rodriguez or, uh, I think, oh, what's my Instagram? Monsters. Oh, my, my Instagram is, is monsters dad. So I, this is a funny quick story. So I, I have three sons and a grandson now. And when my first son was born, I called him my monster. So I ended up calling my kids, my monsters. And so I ended up getting an email, monsters that, so monsters, <laughs> yes. Anyway, so Too yeah, just monsters. and people. What I would really like is is if, if someone can, uh, you know, donate. Of course, I mean we're a nonprofit. Uh, no one takes a salary. <laughs> you know, I've been doing this for free for over three years now. I think uh, almost three years. Uh, so it, you know, it's 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 the importance of the mission is is if they can, um, but just as important, if not more important, uh, talk about it. You know, um, reach out. Um, you know, we don't have a big staff. You send me an email. If you send an email, uh, chances are you're going to hear back from me. Um, so talk about it. Have these discussions. Um, and really, we need help with awareness. Is is would really really help us. Yeah, that's the same thing. Just um, let people know that it's actually happening. Because um, a lot of people don't. I think that's the biggest the biggest thing. No, absolutely. I'll make sure that all of those links are in the show notes, and uh, and people can get a hold of you. Uh, Rod Kelly, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. No, Dwayne, I, I really appreciate it. You know, and uh, like I told you before, we started recording, man. I I came on here because of you, bro. I like seriously. I I came here when you reached out to me. I was humbled to, to accept the 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 invite. But really, I'm here to support you. I mean, that's what it is. I didn't, I didn't come in here to talk about anything that we're doing. It's just I'm here to support you because I don't think uh, people realize that more lives are saved. Uh, here at home than they are in a battlefield. And, uh, and you're doing a fantastic job of it, Dwayne. I'm really proud of you. I appreciate that. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. I'm glad to have been able to bring the concept of the Global War on Terrorism Memorial Foundation to the show. 
As you can hear, both Rod and Kelly are passionate not just about their family service, but about developing the legacy for all of those who served. Even the fact that they will have to go back to Congress and get legislative change to allow the memorial to be built on the reserve, along with the other memorials, will be a way to have a discussion about how we're still in the longest era of sustained conflict in U.S. history. If you've never been to Washington, D.C. and seen the World War II, Korea, and Vietnam memorials, then you're missing a moving and powerful experience. Visiting the World War II memorial, you will likely see honor flight recipients, veterans who were flown to D.C. specifically to visit the World War II memorial. Honor flights are bringing Korean War and Vietnam War veterans to visit their memorials as well. That's what's going to happen with the GWAP memorial. Someday, God willing, there's going to be a 73-year-old Dwayne France taking an honor flight to visit the memorial with his grandchildren, and we'll be able to talk about a critical era in our nation's history. It's going to happen, and it starts now, with Rod and Kelly, with me, and with you. To support the Global War on Terrorism Memorial Foundation, go to gwatmemorialfoundation.org. Thanks for taking the time to check us out. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash HST 118. We're always looking for guests. You can drop me a line at info at veteranmentalhealth.com to recommend guests. You can go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash guests to fill out a suggestion or request. Our thanks this month go to Give an Hour and the Campaign to Change Direction. Don't forget, we'll be joining them for the week to change direction from June 9th through the 15th. If you want to see how you can too, go to changedirection.org. A Week to Change Direction will happen anywhere and everywhere people and organizations want to be part of this change. Given Hour will provide toolkits with suggestions and ideas for how you or your organization can participate in A Week to Change Direction, or you can create your own. Just a reminder that the guests and information on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be considered professional advice. Well, I'm a therapist, I'm not your therapist. Something you've heard makes you think that you should talk to somebody, then reach out to do so. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track Not Alone from his album Combat Medicine. Doc's trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness, and you can see all of his work at therealdoctod.com. Be on the lookout for another great episode, and until then, remember veterans, you're not alone. Ever. The struggle is real, found a piece and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P. I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability
eyes. Take those bottles out, dog, and pour them in the sink. Take the needles out your arm and the gun away from your forehead. It's time, man, you've been through enough pain. Stand up. It's time to stand back up. All my veterans, man, Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. Get up, you know. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.